I used to really say, oh, well, I just got lucky. It was just a fluke. But the more I look back on it, there was some luck there, but also it was relentless networking. And this sounds haughty, but you have to have a good product too. You have to have something that is different or that people want to read. It was a combination of all of those things, but luck by design really fits it. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Wall Street Journal bestselling author B.B. Easton. B.B. was a full-time school psychologist and a new mom when inspiration struck. Funny thing, she never intended to become an author at all. To keep herself awake during late-night feedings with her second baby, B.B. began reading ebooks on her phone in the dark. Then one day, her mother bashfully handed her Fifty Shades of Grey by E.L. James. It was B.B.'s first romance novel, and like any good drug, she was hooked. Bibi began writing down her own stories just for fun, and no one was supposed to read them. She took the events that followed and turned them into her hilarious, heartwarming, hot-as-hell comedic memoir, 44 Chapters About Four Men. Within weeks, 44 Chapters About Four Men, a memoir, hit the Amazon Top 100 bestseller list and received a glowing review from number one New York Times bestselling author Colleen Hoover. 44 Chapters also won the After Dark Book Lovers Shorty Award for Best Debut of 2016. Ultimately, the book was the inspiration for Sex Life series on Netflix and quickly skyrocketed to one of their most watched original series of all time. Due to the book's success and BB's desire to keep writing, she quit her stressful job, dyed her hair pink, and went on to publish four more wickedly funny, shockingly steamy, and heartwarmingly honest books. Listen in for some great takeaways about how B.B. made the transition from school psychologist to full-time author, and not to mention being the inspiration for one of the most watched series ever on Netflix. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the pleasure of being with Wall Street Journal bestselling author B.B. Easton today. Welcome to the show, B.B. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. So for our audience or our listeners who don't know who you are, can you give us a little background about who you are and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, it's a little bit of a crazy story. I was a school psychologist in the Atlanta area. And after having a couple of kids and being home on maternity leave, started writing these kind of spicy journals. I had been reading a lot of romance novels to keep myself awake at night while I was feeding the babies and was like, man, after reading a couple, I was like, I could write these books. I dated all these guys. I went through a pretty extensive bad boy phase in my youth. Like, (laughs) (laughs) It got me thinking about some of the wild times I had had, and I started writing them down. And a lot of them featured men similar to the ones I had been reading about, like the tattoo artist and the motorcycle club guy and the Marine. And 
I discovered that my husband had read some of them. Much to my horror, I braced myself for the incoming divorce (laughs) papers. And instead, he started taking me on dates and spicing things up a little. And I realized that some of the things that were happening in my marriage were starting to mirror some of the things that I had written about in my journal. So I, of course, kept going and milked it as much as possible. (laughs) And it ended up lasting about a year that I was writing these journals and then kind of watching because I was a psychologist. I'm watching my husband's behavior to see where he's going to go. And because I was a psychologist, I have psychologist friends. Right. And one of whom is like the devil on my shoulder. She's like the evil therapist. (laughs) And she was like, well, you know what you need to do is just start making things up. Just make things up that your exes did. Write about that. Whatever it is you want your husband to do and see if you can get him to do it. Like this is the holy grail of marital behavior modification right here. So Mm -hmm. just get creative with it. So I started writing these outlandish journals that were, you know, like Harlequin romance novel worthy of whatever it is that I was hoping he would do. And the results were pretty hilarious. My husband is a very straight-laced, introverted accountant. So Mm -hmm. the results were pretty funny. And I ended up turning it into a book and have not looked back. I am no longer a school psychologist. I have been a full-time author since 2016. And my husband has not made me go back to work yet. (laughs) I I begged for two years. I was like, let me try to pull this off. Just give me two years. And it's been about five now. So, so far, so good. Although you're not practicing psychology as a job where you're getting paid, you're still using your psychology, it sounds like, very actively, even as a writer. So, Oh, very much. Still coming in handy. That's what you're talking about, 44 chapters about four men, right? That was the book that was really came out of this whole experience, correct? That's the one. And how did you come to self-publish it versus possibly using a publisher? What, how did that come about? I actually started trying to get a publisher for it, and I spent probably a year really, I mean, that was my part-time job, was writing query letters and researching agents, researching publishers and editors, and I learned over the course of that year that there are very few literary agents in America And very few, I mean, there are only five really big, noteworthy publishers. So they have their pick of the litter. They can, they can be very selective. And a lot of times they don't take people on unless they're a sure thing. So they want you to have an established platform. You know, they want you to have a track record. Yeah. They want you to either have a track record of book sales or if you're a debut author, they really want to see a huge, you know, you have a podcast following or you have, you're great on social media. You have an army of readers ready to go. That's what they want to see if they're going to invest in you. I had none of that. I was a school psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. So I had a very hard time getting a publisher. I did have some interest from a few agents and editors. And the thing that really encouraged me was that they all said the same thing. They all said, if they even return my emails. (laughs) But they all said, we love it. We love your voice. It's hilarious. The whole office was cracking up. We all read it, but we don't know what shelf to put you on. You are too steamy for comedic memoir, which is really what the book is. But because it's nonfiction or mostly nonfiction, we can't really put you on the romance shelf because that's a fiction shelf. So we don't know how to market you. And the publishing industry lives and breathes and dies by genre. 
That's where they put you. That's how they market you. That's the audience they're going to try to sell you to. And I have two very different genres that a few of them even said, if you want to call it fiction, we'll put it in romance. Or if you want to take out some of the more adult content, we'll put it in comedic memoir. And I just couldn't. I just loved my book so much and believed in it so much that I was like, you know what? I like it the way it is. And it sounds like they like it too. They just don't know what to do with it. So just didn't fit into their box. Yeah. So I spent the next probably six to 12 months researching how to self-publish. And as a former school psychologist, I spent a lot of time in college, a lot of time in school. I love learning. So I just threw everything I had at learning how to do this. And that's great. And I think you said something very interesting and very poignant a little bit ago. And you asked your husband or you asked to say, I want to give this two years, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that's very important for anybody who's considered an entrepreneur. And I would say that an author, somebody who's trying to delve into that space is somewhat of an entrepreneur in the same way you're starting a business, you're starting a new venture. And I think having that time horizon that's long enough to make sure that you can try and be successful is very important. You can't go into it thinking that you're going to write this thing, get it marketed, get it out there and start seeing an income in a month or two. It just doesn't work that way. You know? just like any other business. So I I found that very interesting. We'll talk about it a little later, but I I would imagine some of those literary agents and folks you talk to are probably pretty upset right now, but (laughs) we'll tell the listeners why or show them why as we go through our conversation. One of the things that I know is Colleen Hoover, she had a quote, which is now on your cover. And I've also read that you credit some of the book's success to her and talking about the book on social media. How did Colleen come to read it? I call her my guardian angel. She's amazing. If anybody doesn't know who she is, she's, I believe she was the first number one New York Times bestselling author who was indie. So she managed to hit number one on the New York Times as a self-published author back in like 2012, 2013, that era, like the Mm -hmm. Fifty Shades era, you know? Just after, yep. But she's such an amazing author and she's raised almost $2 million for charity. She's just one of the greatest humans ever. And I sent her the book. I thanked her in the acknowledgments and listed a couple of my favorite authors who inspired me. And so I sent the authors that I'd mentioned, you just ebook copies through their email and just said, Hey, you know, I have this book coming out. You don't have to read it. I just want you to open it and flip to the acknowledgement so you can see what I wrote about you. Thank you so much for inspiring me. And Colleen was the only one who actually did it. She opened it. She flipped to the acknowledgements and then she started reading it. And the next thing I knew, the book had probably been out for like two weeks and people started just blowing up my phone saying, oh my God, Colleen Hoover, blah, 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 blah. Evidently, she'd gone on social media and posted everywhere about this book and it hit the Amazon top 100 bestseller list within a couple of hours after that. And we have been friends ever since. She actually hosted my release party when the show came out, when Sex Life came out. She's just the greatest. Amazing. It's always good to have support from folks who are very well respected in your industry, whatever that may be. And it's a huge testament to you to have her back and support you and your book and this endeavor, I would imagine. Well, that has been the biggest secret to the early success of this book and really so many books right now is that cross-promotion. I cannot stress enough to anybody who has a new business, especially authors. The indie romance community, which is where I got my start, is such a family. And once you make those connections, people 
cross-promote each other like crazy. If anyone follows me on Instagram, you'll see almost every day I'm posting somebody's cover reveal or somebody's new release, and they're doing the same thing for me. And we just share. We've become this community because we all share our readers in that way and expose our readers to each other's books. And it's very genuine, and it's very friendly, and it's like a sorority or sisterhood, really. So I'm just so grateful that that exists for me. Not a lot of genres have that. Not a lot of businesses have that. But if there is one, definitely get in on it because it's everything. Yeah, I agree. The author community, especially the indie author community, is such a close-knit community. They have such an abundance mindset, which really helps promote the industry. And most of the people that we've run into in the community really understand that if everybody's doing well or everybody helps each other, it just improves the industry as a whole, which is something that your profession certainly gets and is a huge credit to them. So I got to ask you, obviously, you're writing these journals, you're kind of tweaking the stories to affect change in your marriage. So I got to ask, what was your husband Ken's reaction when he read the journal? What was the reaction there? Looking back on it now, I realize that because his reaction was positive, all of this came to be. If his reaction had been negative, I would have burned the journals in a fire and never <laughs> looked back. But some of my training is behaviorism. And with behaviorism, those types of psychologists really view the world through the lens of positive and negative reinforcement, period. They would claim that every choice anyone makes is based on the likelihood that they are going to get positive or negative reinforcement for that behavior. And so my behavior was writing these journals. The consequence was positive because my husband was like, oh, I need to step my game up. Let's go out on a date. Let's do these things. So that behavior continued (laughs) for as long as humanly possible. So yeah, it was favorable. It was funny. It was a great way for us to communicate because he is very introverted and he's not a talker. He's a doer. So anytime we'd have to have a relationship conversation, it was like torture for him. I could just watch him like pull inside of his turtle shell and stare at the floor like, oh my God, I can't believe she's making me talk about feelings. (laughs) But this way I could kind of write what it was that I was missing or what it was that I wanted. And he could, we'd never had to talk about it. He never had to have the uncomfortable conversation. He could read it and then choose what to do with that information. And there was no pressure. And so it actually, in a weird way, turned out to be the perfect communication tool for us. But I've heard from a lot of women who said, you know, oh my God, if my husband found my journals about my exes, he would like burn the house down. Like this would not have (laughs) gone well. That's why I asked the question. It's kind of interesting. You know, I think that that might've been a reaction from a lot of men out there. And it's interesting to hear you say that had that been his reaction, that perhaps this path that you've gone on may never have even happened, which is uh, interesting also. Definitely. Most people, they go to school, they get trained, especially as a psychologist with the extra education that's involved with that. You don't see many people make a real big shift in their life like you have. And I think it would be interesting to hear how has the transition that you've seen from psychologist to full-time author been like? Were there any moments where you were like, I can't believe I'm making a shift or trying after putting all this time, effort, and energy? What has that transition been like for you? It has been amazing. It was terrifying at first. My husband was not 
real excited about losing half of our income (laughs) when I said, I think I want to, you know, that job that you helped put me through seven years of college to do. Yeah. I think I'm going to not do that for a while. That was scary. But like I said, I begged for two years. I said, you know, we can, I'll sell my car. Like we will get rid of our landline. Like we'll cut all the costs that we can. We'll beans and rice every night Mm -hmm. and just let me work on this for two years. My kids were also really little at the time. And that was a big motivator because I felt like I was missing their their toddler years and their preschool years. And my daughter turned three and I felt like that was really a slap in the face. When she turned three, my son was five. I was like, oh my God, that's it. They're not babies anymore. So those two years were crucial. It made it a little easier because I didn't feel like I was throwing my career away. It was just a pause. Right. I was going to raise my kids and work on these books. And then I was going to go back and everyone would be none the wiser because I published under a pen name. And so it was just this little thing I was going to do just for me. And because of those two years, I credit him so much. I feel like artists need a patron and startup businesses, like you have to hustle, you have to either work two jobs or you have to have somebody supporting you, hopefully both. And so because he helped me through those two years and held down the fort while I built something, the transition was fantastic. And now we're happier than ever. He gets to come to um, book signings with me. We traveled the world. He's got fangirls. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy I took the leap. So, so happy. It's not just when you're a couple and you're trying a new endeavor and trying to be entrepreneurial in nature. I think it's very difficult to do that as a solo venture. It's much easier, much more beneficial if you have that support of your spouse or significant other supporting you through that. And it just makes it that much easier. And you have the time frame set aside that it really sets you up for a greater level of success because of those things. And what's kind of like luck by design, right? If you set it up properly, hopefully it works out the way you expect it to. And it sounds like your husband was very supportive during that whole time frame. And worst case scenario, you got out of it and you got two great years with your <laughs> kids that you couldn't get back because they grow up very, very fast, as uh, I've learned over the years for sure. Absolutely. Can you share a bit about how the book, 44 Chapters About Four Men, became the inspiration for the breakout hit Netflix series, Sex Life. How did that happen? The phrase you just used, luck by design, completely answers this question. I love that term. I haven't heard that before, but it (laughs) it was luck by design. You know, I used to really say, oh, well, I just got lucky. It was just a fluke. But the more I look back on it, there was some luck there, but also it was relentless networking. And this sounds haughty, but you have to have a good product too. You have to have Mm -hmm. something that is different or that people want to read. It was a combination of all of those things, but luck by design really fits it. Basically, I was hustling and trying, as you know, as I told you, I'd spent a year or two trying to find an agent or an editor or somebody to help me publish this book. And through the course of that searching, I was networking. I was talking to all of my friends. Do you guys know anybody? Do you know a literary agent? And a friend of mine who's actually, if you've seen the show or read the book, she's Sasha on the show. She's Sarah Snow in the book. She was like, I'm going to find you a literary agent. I know everybody. So she ended up just schmoozing with some people at a wedding. And a 
girl she was talking to was an editor and she claimed that she knew an agent. And so my friend got the agent's number and gave it to me and was like, call this guy. So I call him. I just cold call this poor man. And he is not a literary agent. It turns out he's a talent manager in LA. Okay. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm looking for an agent. (laughs) I've wasted your time. And he's like, no, no, no. Tell me about your project. So I tell him about the book and he said, oh, that's not a book. That's a movie. And I said, no, it's a book. You know, I had Googled this guy. I couldn't find him on the internet. He's not on IMDb. He doesn't have a website. So I'm like, this is just some LA hack who's like trying to schmooze. And But it turned out that he was legit. He was a talent manager and he represented mostly actors and musicians. Okay. But he's friends with Jay Miles Dale, who is the producer who ended up optioning it. And um, he was like, I got this A-list producer friend. I'm like, anybody who says I got this A-list producer <laughs> friend does not have an A-list producer right. friend. But he did. And it was J. Miles Dale. And he sent him, I said, okay. And I sent him the book, sent it to your, and finger quotes to your A-list producer friend. Mm -hmm. And it was Miles and Miles loved it. And he ended up optioning it. And then I didn't hear from him for like a couple years. He'd say hi every six months or so, but he was busy making The Shape of Water. So because it was like radio silence for a while, I just assumed that it wasn't going to go anywhere. A lot of times books get optioned and they don't turn into anything. So I was like, oh, well, that was fun and really kind of forgot about it. And then after The Shape of Water won an Oscar for Best Picture, Miles, the next day, took his little Oscar statue. It was big. I've heard they're very heavy. (laughs) To the Netflix studio headquarters and pitched 44 chapters about four men. And it was crazy. They wanted it for their drama department. It's really romantic comedy or a comedic memoir, but they really liked the idea for their drama department. And it had to go through a lot of hoops after that, but it was just the little project that could. It managed to get through every hoop and pass every gatekeeper along the way, and it actually got made during COVID, no less. So it's just amazing. It's just amazing. The whole quote really is, and I'm not sure who said this, so I can't credit it to anybody, but I've definitely heard it and I've used it along the way, which is luck by design, not by default. And I think that you're a product of that. You didn't wait for something to happen. You were asking probing, trying to find people and by having a good product and probing and working and doing what you need to do to move forward, that luck came along the way and it's been fantastic for you. One of the things that I've heard is it's been reported that the show Sex Life is female-centered in every way. I'm hearing that Not only does the series focus on the identity crisis of a party girl turned suburban housewife, Billy Mann, inspired by you, but it also has a female showrunner, all-female directors, a mostly female writing staff, and a mostly female crew. Was this something organic or was it something that was part of the planning that you wanted it pretty much female-centric, if you will? It was definitely by design, um, and it was actually the idea came from Miles, my male executive producer. First, he wanted to make it a movie. And he said, I really think we need a female director. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And he was like, I think we should probably get like female script writers too. It's like, that'd be awesome. And then when it turned into a series, he oversaw that. He was the executive producer on it. And he said, you know, I want a female showrunner and I have this one in mind. 
Stacy Rukeyser. And from there, it was just a snowball rolling downhill. It was like, you hire one woman, and then she hires three more, and then she brings her friends. And it turned into this whole family of female filmmakers. It was just amazing. As soon as that door was open and crack, everybody like held it open and waved all their friends in, like, come on, come on. <laughs> They're hiring women over here. But it was I guess cool- Miles didn't want a female executive producer. <laughs> they actually, Stacey Rukeyser is also an executive producer. Okay, so he has co- a female one of those too. Okay. But it was just so cool to talk to everybody about their experience working on the show. Like I was on social media, I was talking to one of the camera operators, and she said the entire B team of camera operators is female. Wow. I've never seen this. She said, our sound recordist is a woman. I've never in 15 years worked with a female sound recordist. Everybody was so excited to come to work and to interact with all of these other kind of marginalized people in that industry that it just warmed my heart to have anything at all to do with that because the highlight of their careers for a lot of them. So not only is the show breaking records from a viewership standpoint, but it's really setting new ground from a standpoint of the whole production factor of, of the show as well. Definitely. That's amazing. How involved were you, obviously, when you have a book and then it gets adapted to a series or a movie, there's some creative license or changes that kind of have to take place or, you know, in order to make it work. How involved were you with the adaptation of the book to the series? I joke that my title was like official series cheerleader. (laughs) That was about (laughs) the extent of my involvement was just going... How's it going, guys? You're doing great. (laughs) They really took the ball and ran with it. They knew exactly what they wanted to do with it. And they hired a total A-team, just a team of professional series writers who knew exactly what they were doing. And it was a very rigorous schedule. It was like every week they had to have a new episode written and sent to Netflix for approval. And then they'd get it back, make changes, and have to send the next one the next week. So it was a well-oiled machine. But yeah, because it was picked up by the drama department, the TV drama part of Netflix, they really took it in a completely different direction. So it was a lot of fun for me to watch because I didn't know what was going to happen a lot of the time because it is such a departure from the book. I really think of it almost like fan fiction. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with that, but basically fan fiction is where People like on Wattpad or wherever there are websites online, well, they're, they'll take a series like Fifty Shades or Harry Potter or something that they love, and then they'll write their own stories with those characters. And that's right. really how this felt, where they took the basic premise, which is this mother and wife and budding psychologist who leaves her job to raise these kids, and she's having this crisis within her marriage, and she's missing the girl that she used to be and all the fun she used to have, and she starts journaling about one of her exes. And then what happens? So in my book, then what happens becomes a comedic memoir. It's funny and based on true events. On the show, the then what happens is the most intense drama you've ever (laughs) seen on television. So it was a ton of fun to watch. But no, I I wasn't involved in that part. And so it just made it even more exciting for me to see. It seems like they're both working, right? Independently (laughs) and on their own separately. So that's great. And to that point about your involvement, I'm guessing that the events that took place, and maybe you could kind of share it with our listeners, the events that took place in the third episode at the 19 minute and 40 second mark, right? I'm guessing you weren't involved with that piece or you were. Maybe you could tell our listeners what that was about and what your involvement, if any, was there. 
That was a delightful little surprise for me, (laughs) or I should say large surprise. No, I had read all of the scripts, so I knew that that scene was there, but they don't mention what the characters actually see. It says what happens. Right. So I laughed so hard when I saw that. I got to see the episodes early, and that was just, I was like, okay, they went there. Awesome. Can you explain where they went so our listeners can understand what you're referring to? So on the show, I'm going to be as G-rated as possible. (laughs) Please, thank you. Billy, who's based on my character, is married to Cooper, who's based on my husband. He's a great guy. And things are just a little stale in their relationship because they have two small kids and life is hard. And then her ex, Brad, who is just the ultimate bad boy challenge threat to Cooper's good guy persona, comes back on the scene. And this is the guy that she's been journaling about also. So Cooper, her husband, finds out that this guy is kind of back in the picture. And he follows him to the gym and is just kind of trying to scope him out. And, you know, he's like comparing himself with this guy mentally and watching him work out and stuff. And of course, because it just makes for great TV, they end up in the showers together because why not? Why not? So Cooper gets an eyeful of what he gets to size up his competition, so to speak, in this scene. And I had no idea that the audience (laughs) was going to get to see all of what Cooper got to see. And it really was just the gift that kept on giving. Like, to see the reaction on TikTok, it went completely <laughs> viral on TikTok. Everybody was recording their reactions. It was like this full spectrum of human emotion. <laughs> some people screamed, some people laughed. A few men looked like they were going to cry. It was the greatest little diversion from the pandemic. Also, it was so funny to see people just being entertained and shocked and having a good time for a minute to kind of forget about the reality. Yeah. That's amazing. It was hilarious. I loved it. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because people go on TikTok, start promoting it, talking about it, showing their emotions. It just creates this buzz that if you didn't see it or know anything about this, that you want to check it out, right? So it, oh, it draws eyeballs to both the series as well as the book for you, right? So definitely. it's a win-win. One of the things I have to ask is, having been to book signings, and hopefully they'll start back up again, and seeing some of the antics that I've seen firsthand, I have to ask, what have been the reader's reactions to your husband, especially since I know you bring him to a lot of these events, typically? So what's been the reaction there? It is the funniest thing. So I don't post pictures of my husband online. Right. He has a corporate job. He would not appreciate being known as Ken Easton or Cooper (laughs) Connolly at work. So I try very hard to protect all of the identities of everybody I write about, especially him. So I do bring him to book signings and my readers are incredibly respectful. They all know that he doesn't want pictures of him on the internet or anything. So everybody is incredibly respectful, but it's just hilarious because no one has ever seen his face. (laughs) So the reaction varies from people who avert their eyes as if they're not allowed to like look like he's God. They look (laughs) away like the sun is shining out of his face. Like, oh my God, am I even allowed to look at him? And then there are the bold fangirls who will physically drag him away from me and corner him at the bar. Like I'll meet up with readers sometimes at the hotel bar and I get separated from him within five minutes. People drag him away and I look over as he's like disappearing into a sea of women and I'm just like, oh, sweet baby Ken, poor thing, because <laughs> he's such an introvert. But he loves it. He loves it. 
So they, maybe he's not that introverted no, after all. No, he's a good ego massage. He it might has be been an a really, maybe. And uh, maybe it's been a nice <laughs> little ego massage. And he's actually said like he had to ask for a raise at work recently, and he was never like an unconfident person, but he's just bolder in work and in his professional life and and or personal life. And he said. He thinks it's from the book signings. He was like, because I have to make small talk with people. I have to talk to so many people. And everybody really like boosts my ego while I'm there that it's been really great for him. It's been fun for both of us, but it's been actually shockingly good for him. So, Well, that's great. And it's also excellent that people are respectful of that, considering what your wishes are. Because I will tell you firsthand, I've seen some crazy stuff at some of these book signings. So that's very refreshing to hear that people are respectful of your situation and your family life, which is great. It's amazing. What do you ultimately hope that women will take away from the book and from the series? Obviously, you have a wish there that you hope. What would that be? Well, my first wish, you know, when I was writing the book and decided to publish it, it is super personal. It's very embarrassing. But I ultimately decided to publish it because I felt like there was a message there. And really, the message is not to settle, that there's hope. Things can get stale and you can breathe new life. If this marriage is important to you, if this person is your person, that it can always get better. You can always work on it. You can always rekindle that. But also there was a message there of what you need matters. I think a lot of women, we if you get married, if you have children or even you know take on a career, you feel like that's it. I have to sacrifice for this or, you know, what I need doesn't matter anymore. It's not okay to want certain things anymore. And I feel like we live so long now that you just have to continue to make sure that your needs are getting met or you're going to have a very long, long, miserable life. But yeah, I felt like that when I published it, I felt like there was some good stuff there for women. But one thing that kind of dawned on me after it became a show was how few stories are told about women after they get married and have children. Like if you look back on the history of storytelling, there's a statistic out there and it's horrifying. I want to say it's like 99% of stories ever written are have a, a male protagonist, period. Like there aren't stories about women. This is a very new phenomenon. This is like a very within the last century phenomenon of women actually even being the protagonist of the story. But a woman who's already, you know, normally the story ends. You get married, right. you have babies, that's it. Then, then you die. Happily ever after, right? The next 60 years don't matter. You no right. longer matter. You are no longer protagonist. You are no longer worthy of telling stories about. And we live way too long to not be telling stories about what happens after the happily ever after and how it's not always such a happily ever after. And that's some good drama right there. Sure. So I think we're seeing more and more of that stories about women who are over the age of 29, <laughs> um, which is also an extremely new phenomenon. I mean, you didn't see that in the 70s and 80s. So it's just so important for us to see ourselves that and see that we still matter and that we still have stories to tell and that we're still attractive and desirable. I mean, Sarah Shahi, who plays Billy's character, is 41. She has three children of her own. And she was the hottest thing summer of 2021. So it just matters. And it's really cool to see more and more of these stories getting told. Yeah, and I think the support that you're getting or kind of the additional impression of this by having almost an all-female crew cast, et cetera, working on that just really supports that whole initiative as well and really shows people who are working on that that 
this is important and there is a place for them beyond that happily ever after never hearing about them because now they're being spoken about in a way with this hit series that is meaningful and, and shows other women that there's opportunity for them in that world also, which is good for the industry and good for women and good for the profession always. Truly. It's so exciting. So, BB, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and we ask every guest the same question, because this is the Midland Money Mindset. What did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? I start every day by walking around my neighborhood with my husband and my cup of chai tea, which now gets cold within about five minutes because it's, you know, seasons are changing here, but we put our kids on the bus and it's about a two mile walk and it's beautiful. We live in a place that's very wooded and there's a lake that we walk past and we just talk about our day and we talk about, we plan, we talk about money stuff. You know, my husband is an accountant or has an accounting background. And so we talk about investing and we talk about Christmas planning and whatever, but it really gives us a great time to connect and have those kinds of conversations in a beautiful setting. And something else that I do, I haven't done it yet today, but I'm about to, is I do transcendental meditation. Mm -hmm. And it has really saved my writing career. Interesting. I've never had a problem focusing. I've always been kind of a tunnel vision type of person where when I'm working on something, I can just go forever. But during the pandemic, my kids were home for like nine months. And so I became a homeschool teacher all of a sudden. And when I did get a couple minutes to write, the doom and despair on the news were so intense that I just couldn't turn it off. I couldn't focus. I couldn't get deep enough to really write a novel. And this is very helpful. Yeah. I had writer's block completely and it was horrible. And several creative types whom I follow their careers practice transcendental meditation. And I've always been a big meditator, but I'd never tried this particular type. Mm -hmm. And so you have to get trained in it. So you have to go to the transcendental meditation website and actually Mm -hmm. sign up to be officially trained by one of their instructors to make sure that you're learning how to do it correctly. It's not hard. It sounds intimidating, but it's a very easy process. But It really allows me to get to that place that I wasn't able to get to where I can focus and be creative again. It's amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bibi, for being here. And thank you for sharing that. Sounds like a great way to start the day. For those people looking to find you, what's the best place for them to do that? We're going to have all the information in the show notes, but what's the one place that if you wanted to direct people to find you, what's that best place for them to do that? Probably my website, because you can find anything else about me that you need, my social media links, my books, all of that. And the address is artbyeaston.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. And thanks for joining us and sharing your story. It's been a pleasure having you, BB, and make it a great day. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. I want to thank BB Easton for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. BB is a true inspiration to women everywhere. She has taken her passion for reading and now writing and combined it with real-life stories to create a great career. It's amazing to see the success she has had not only in print, but on the living room big screen too. BB can be found across all social media platforms and all the contact information needed to find her can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please 
Don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.